Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Aaron Alexander is a pioneering manual therapist and movement coach. He's the founder and creator of The Align Method, author of The Align Method book, and host of The Align podcast. He's worked with pro athletes, performers, celebrities, and everyone in between all to help them relieve pain while creating greater strength, flexibility, and ease in their mind and body. Aaron, welcome. Thanks for doing this. This was this is long overdue as we were discussing before pressing record. It, it is long overdue and so great to finally have you on the show. And so let's start with your personal story, your own personal health journey that led you to your focus on alignment and specifically your align method. Hmm. Origins. I mean, I think I still in a lot of ways I'm in my origins. You know, I don't feel like I feel very much in like the least kind of like fake humble way possible, like very much in the beginning of the learning process, but transitioning into realms of like coaching other people in their own process started super young for me. I started training at a gym at LA Fitness in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, nearby your your origin story as well in New York, when I was 16. And before that, I got really obsessed with bodybuilding. My dad was very much into bodybuilding. I mentioned in my book, we had some kind of interesting times. My home life, my dad started to kind of drift into addiction. And had set the stage for me to develop an interest in physicality and then drifted into this imbalanced behavior pattern of being addicted to particularly it was crack cocaine was his drug of choice and he ended up going to jail and he'd come home with like bullet holes in the car on occasion well that just happened once but he got he really got into some interesting manners of living and now he's doing amazing, which is fantastic. But during that time, the way that I describe it, and this is my story, I'm also trying to be reticent of being like, you know, too attached to the story. My story is around that time, I, I believe that because my home life felt wildly unstable, I compensated with my biological home. And so I beefed up my muscles and started slamming all the proteins and creatines and glutamines and you know, I was going to the high school bathroom and like spilling protein powders and different supplements all over the counters and whatnot. Every two hours, I had to make sure I was, you know, keeping my feeding going every two hours. I didn't want to get into a catabolic state ever. Just always needed to build. And then that was just a lot of really imbalanced training in the mainly focused towards bodybuilding. I was training for a bodybuilding competition at the time. And then that turned into just a lot of imbalances general chronic sensation of like dis-ease, pain, angst, particularly like spine, you know, it was just tension and started having other injuries, shoulder dislocations, ankle dislocation, just kind of like the tensegrity, which is a term that maybe we could talk about at some point. The tensional systems in my body were kind of a bit awry as a product of the way that I was training and the way that I was thinking and the way that I was feeling, you know, and so that transitioned eventually into moving to Hawaii from there, I got into other different, more like introspective slash exploratory realms and got into yoga and jujitsu and surfing and spending time with, and just being in nature, being in the jungle, walking barefoot, you know? And so that was a bit of a transitional time for me. And then that led into other things, studying rolfing and various different forms of manual therapy, 
And yeah, I'm still putting the pieces back together. You know, there's still parts that I'm like working on within myself, you know, and that's, I'm, I'm learning out loud, I, I think within the podcast that I host and, you know, even in my book, like the book, it was like learning out loud. You know, a lot of the chapters in there are things like, wow, like interesting. How do sounds affect my physiology? You know, how do the textures of the room affect my physiology? How does my, you know, my, my visual system and my visual field, how does that affect my postural expression? Here's things like they're big questions that I'm really interested in. And so, yeah, I, I think that the origin story continues, I guess, is a long-winded way of saying that. Well, it is a journey and it's not about the destination. And, you know, I think there's a lot to unpack there. And I think what's so interesting about you and your method is it's the aligned method and it's about alignment and it, at the highest level, you, you know, you think about well-being and what so many of us are looking to achieve. It's about alignment, you know, spiritually literally physically in your case and, and alignment is powerful. And so, you know, when we think about the aesthetics of, you know, your background, you know, working out and bodybuilder and looking good and look, there's nothing wrong with that. But th this idea of alignment, I think trumps all, if you're not aligned, you're going to run into issues. And so with that said, can, can you talk a little bit more about your method specifically and, and how you aligned on a lie. Yeah. Well, so the methodology is very Bruce Lee esque in the sense of it's like the, if you get too wrapped up in methodology is kind of like a static, still skeleton of an idea. Like the living body is continually growing and evolving. And if you try to wrap yourself into the confines of this is the way that I'm supposed to move, that just becomes its own problem down the line. You know, so the align method is kind of like a method with no method. It's more of a philosophy. And within the confines of the book, and you know, we have programs and just the things that we discuss in the podcast and all that, you know, it's specific actionable tools and techniques to develop an individual's toolbox on how to inhabit their body more effectively when they're doing the things that we wouldn't typically deem to be working out. That's the whole playground of the Align Method. When you're in the gym, love that for you, you know, but I'm interested in, you know, the other 20 hours of the day or 22 hours of the day, you know, and even your sleeping positions. You know, so the Align Method would be literally, as we're sitting here having this conversation, there's more and less effective ways to sit. There's more and less effective ways to breathe to use our visual muscles, like I had mentioned before, you know, paying attention to the, the sounds in our environment and the way that they make us feel, you know, so the align method is really, it's a, a philosophy on how to inhabit your body with the highest efficiency towards arriving at, you know, the goal that, you know, for the most part, most people could collectively agree that, you know, longevity feels good, flexibility strength, adaptability, creativity, self-expression, having access to your full ranges of motion in your ankles and your knees and your hips and your spinal segments and your shoulders, you know, and being able to communicate well, be able to like, I think so many people feel like, and I mean, I, I feel this way sometimes, you probably perhaps could share this. It's like, we feel like we have more inside of us. You know, it's like, how do I get it out? You know, and that's like, like I watched The Matrix recently and uh, Neo, 
he kind of had this like restlessness to him. And he's like, I know there's something and I can't sleep at night. It's like, I don't know what it is. And the, your physical experience, you know, when you're a child, you go through these natural, organic, beautiful, expressive movements all throughout the day, you know, and you're, and you're really driven by your environment and exploration and, and creativity and imagination. And then at some point, you know, there comes a moment where suddenly maybe there's, you know, a day that shame was imposed upon your storyline. So now it's like, okay, interesting. What does shame look like in the body? And it's, there's an interesting thing within the expression of scoliosis. The highest expression of scoliosis, the most highest frequency of that is going to be among adolescent females, biological females, you know? And so what's happening when you're a, you know, a 12, 13, 14 year old girl, you know, there's a lot of interesting social pressures and experiences, like your environment starts to form you in a way. And suddenly with the highest consistency, the spinal segments of those girls, you know, just more consistently than guys, it starts to maybe contort a little bit. It starts to maybe like hide a little bit, you know? So if a person feels, say, you know, another example is, you know, if you're ashamed of, I mean, if you're ashamed of any part of your body or just yourself in general, you'll contort yourself into hiding. And if you do that with time, the body starts to be bound up in that position. And then where at one point you could have been fully shoulders back, you know, vital organs exposed, you feel completely safe to be seen all the way, suddenly you kind of curl up a little bit and you go into more of a defensive postural expression. And there's the opportunity for us to feel more safe in our body and to have the awareness that, you know, it's a two-way street. The way that we move informs the way that we think and the way that we feel. And the way that we think and the way that we feel informs the way that we move. So if we start to understand the mechanism of that, I think it opens up a lot of really cool opportunity. I, I, I love it. And building off of that, you know, there was a study in your book you referenced at San Francisco State, which found that more than 85% of the time, students found it easier to access uplifting memories mm -hmm. in an upright or aligned position and easier to access depressive memories in a slumped position. Yeah. So not only can the mind influence the body, the body obviously can influence the mind. And if we think about the mental health epidemic and I think about depression and anxiety, I think, um, wow, posture, alignment. Isn't that wild? Yeah. So, so, so depression has become the number one leading cause of disability worldwide, you know, and, and there's a lot there like the, the to be healthy, it's, I, th I think for the most part, it's a pretty simple bordering on at least affordable for the most part free, you know, minus food and shelter equation, you know, and we're kind of sold the idea that we need all of these different things in order to feel okay. But the root of being a healthy person, like, you know, driving your, your body, your biology at a cellular level is just a, it's basic stuff. Being in a good sleep rhythm, getting adequate sun exposure throughout the day, full spectrum sun exposure throughout the day you know, grounding your body every now and again, as opposed to continually being bombarded by various different electromagnetic frequencies in all different forms and your, your cell phone pressed up against your genitals throughout the day. is like just totally normal, totally casual. Like, of course, you know, I think that it's going back to Bruce Lee. It's like, it's about reduction. You know, it's about subtraction, not addition. And so many of us, you know, like me, I think we feel almost 
the possibility of feeling weighed down with all of the stuff you know, all of the thoughts, all the ideas, who we think we're supposed to be, what we think we're supposed to be doing, what we think we're supposed to wear, how we think we're supposed to act, all of that, if we can start to strip that back a little bit, like most people at the root, you know, I think there's like a lot of love, you know, there's a lot of like art, there's a lot of creativity, there's a lot of spontaneity, you know, like humans are so beautiful. And I, I think that through the entrance of physicality, it's like one of the handles to pull on. It's one of the doorways into this human experience. And the realization that like, I mean, it sounds kind of kind of out there and, and you know, a little like bridging on woo-woo, but like life really is a miracle. And I think it's very easy to forget that in like the hustle and bustle busyness of modernity. You know, and now there's like, I feel a certain pressure of, am I busy enough? What happens if I'm not busy? And so through that, you know, just coming back into just paying attention to your body, it's a really beautiful access point to coming into a place of like presence and stillness and, you know, all the words that people, people talk about in kind of more like the esoteric spiritual yoga type realms. It's just a simple process of beginning to pay attention. And one of the, the really fantastic access points to start to pay attention to is pay attention to the way that your body feels. One of the things that, I'll shut up in a second, one of the things that, that is interesting with that paying attention, there's some other research that suggested when people would look at the faces of people, of others, that were like disapproving or disgusted, you know, indicating that the, the tribe doesn't accept you, it's pushing you away, it's like, up, oh, you're out of the tribe you would see within this research, you would see the subjects, their amygdala would start to fire. And they would, you know, they'd get the cortisols and the norepinephrine, all the things that kind of times like, oh, this is oh, bad, ah. And the moment that they, I, the subjects would identify that, ah, okay, like this is what this expression means. They start to break it apart and objectify it and say, okay, this is what it is. You start to actually step back and, and objectively perceive what's going on just through paying attention. Suddenly, that amygdala starts to downregulate and you know, their body starts to come back into more of like a homeostatic state of like, okay. You know, so I was overwhelmed by this emotion and then I pulled myself back for a moment and I consciously observed and now suddenly my body goes back into balance. So when we're having a conversation, if we're stressed out about a thing, if we're just feeling overwhelmed, a beautiful opportunity to say like, ah, like overwhelm. Okay, interesting. Where do I feel overwhelmed? Oh, okay, interesting. I feel it in my chest. Oh, I feel it in my stomach. Something feels tight. Wow, that's what over overwhelm is tightness in my stomach. Interesting. You know, does it have a color? Does it have a texture? You know, does it have a temperature? And then what you'll find with that is it creates space between you identifying with the thing of being of overwhelm, you know, it opens you up into a place of, again, deeper presence. Pre the present state of the human organism is all of those things that I had mentioned before. You know, it's, it's, it feels good. But when we get pulled out of that present state, then it starts to feel frenetic. If you, if you take a step back, you know, and you talk to, for example, you, you talk to a functional medicine doctor and you say, you know, hey doc, you know, well, what are we all doing wrong? Consistently you'll hear reading too many processed foods, eating too much sugar. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, you're, you know, you're going to be okay. 
with regards to alignment, what are most of us, I don't think alignment's on the radar of most people hmm. in terms of their posture, you know, I'm talking like, like the, the anatomically, like alignment's just not, it, it should be on the radar. It's not. And I'm curious, what are most people doing wrong there that they're just not aware of? Well, so even the I idea that there is a right and a wrong, that there's, that's inherently within that there's a sense of judgment and, you know, guilt and all these other kind of like weights that we put on, on ourselves. Like, am I doing it right? Am I a good boy? Am I a good girl? Well, let, I rephrase that a, a way that is not going to, you know, I, I think that the depression example is a good example. Yeah. Like how do we make alignment work for us versus work against us mm -hmm. in terms of being, you know, our happiest, healthiest selves? Yeah. Well, so I wasn't disagreeing with you with the right or wrong part. It's just, I think it's an interesting, it's an <laughs> in interesting differentiation of just like language is meaningful, you know, and we, and sure. we in some ways can form our, our postural patterns and our personality and our relationships within the containers and the confines of, of the way that we communicate. And that's like an example of that. And, I'll, and I, I promise we'll touch on the specific anatomical musculoskeletal stuff. But an interesting thing is in uh, Vietnamese language, from my understanding, I don't speak Vietnamese, but they don't have the subjunctive form of uh, grammar, of language. So subjunctive being like, oh, I should have done that. Oh, man, if I was there, I would have, you know, it's like that past, like, if only I could have, ah. If you don't have access to that aspect of, of language, then suddenly that sensation and that emotion, it's, it's more distant, if not completely off the board, you know? And so when we come into that place of like, how should I be standing? You know, it's like, okay, well, if you're coming immediately off the bat from a place of like, of moralistic, right, wrong, kind of puritanical judgment. And so just a, a, a reframe of that could be what are, where are you looking to arrive? Like, what are your goals? What are your intentions in your ideal world? Like what would your most, like your best lived body, what's your best, what's your best life look like? What does it feel like? You know? And so that's one of the examples that we have in the Align Method book is actually, you know, going through and visualizing like how do you want your shoulders to feel your spine to feel your hips to feel your knees your ankles and also going through and describing qualitatively how do they feel now do they feel stiff do they feel rigid do they feel strong do they feel stable you know so first defining what do i want and then from there we can reverse engineer and say okay these type of postural patterns will get me closer to that these type of postural patterns will get me further away and so something that people commonly do throughout the day is you know, they perpetuate those hunched over in the book. We would refer to it as the, the, the mopey archetype, you know, that kind of like, oh, shoulders rolled in hyperkyphotic spine, kind of protecting forward head posture, upper cross syndrome is a fancy way of saying that N maybe knock need, you know, these valgously dropping in like that lit the literal definition of that, of, of depression to be pulled down. Like that is a, a, a structure that is depressed in the literal sense. No, no qualitative judgment, just like that's anatomically, that's what's happening there. And so if that's the way that we're navigating in the day, what it is, it's sending a lot of information to yourself. It's a sending a lot of information to the world around you. The term for that is, is postural feedback. We're continually sending, conveying these messages back and forth, you know, and so 
the internal information that you're getting from that, starting off from the, from the inside out, is if your spine, your central nervous system, your spinal cord, if that is impinged or there's, you know, say an acute angle, say you have like the forward head posture thing where you're kind of crunched up around the cervical spine, or maybe you have like a hyperlordosis and you kind of, your lumbar spine's dumping forward and you're flaring your ribs. What that does internally is it sends the signal to your central nervous system to downregulate your access to power and strength because it doesn't trust you to actually give it all the throttle. And so I say, whoa, okay, cool. Let's only give Jason access to maybe like 60% of his potential strength. Because if he goes like 80%, we literally, we might blow a disc. You know, we might have some type of trauma here. And so, you know, you hear things like neutral spine, things of the sort. By stacking those segments, you know, and whenever, so, so for if people are exercising or, you know, just moving around the house in general, picking something off the ground, think prioritize the axial skeleton first. Prioritize, this is like the chassis of your vehicle. You know, so that spine, that central column, that central nervous system and you know the, the sushumna you know in, in, in like eastern eastern talk whatever you want to call it by by first prioritizing that space then it sends the signal to the rest of your nervous system it's like okay it's safe to be strong from there what is the world how does the world perceive you and say oh that's a load-bearing body right i feel like i can trust i could you know i could say something heavy to this person and they would be able to support it and like hold space in quotations for me. If a person's already collapsed or depressed, how much weight of a conversation could that body hold? So that's when we're communicating to each other and that there's a, an old psychologist called Albert Morabian that I also reference in the, the Alignment Method book. And he called this the, the 55387 principle. He said the 55% of our communication comes from body language and then 38 is the tone of our voice, and then seven is the actual words that we're speaking. And so if there's any incongruence between the words coming out of our mouths and the tone and the body language, with 93% accuracy, we're going to trust the tone and the body language over the actual words coming out. So when we're communicating, if you're going out on a date with a new girl or a new guy, or you're in front of a boardroom, and you know if you get a suit you know, or a dress or something of the sort, a suit particularly, you'll get shoulder pads in the suit. Why is that? It's because it's sending the indication, the visual feedback to the rest of the room. It's like, wow, that party's got strong, stable shoulder girdle. Like, I could, we can trust that guy. Why do we do that? Because that's how we communicate. And so we can fake the body language game and you'll fake it till you make it. But if you just pull your shoulders back and then compensate all that lack of range of motion that you had in your shoulder girdles from just problematic postural patterns throughout the day, and you just dump that into your lower back, you can maybe fake that for a little bit, but it's still inherently very unstable. You know, and so the intention of the Align Method and, you know, just most of the things that I care about is how do we really create integrity through the whole system? So there's no faking until you make it. It's just who you are in a momentary day-to-day -day basis is someone that we can trust, someone that we want to depend on, someone that's flexible and dynamic and expressive in all of the things. It, it is so fascinating. And it, it, you just articulated the, the mopey archetype and you've got five archetypes. You've got mm. mopey, anxious, swole, bendy, and aligned. 
Could you walk us through each one and kind of summarize how, how we can identify which archetype we are and then, you know, talk about what we can do if we think we're one of these archetypes. I just think it's so interesting. I love that. Yeah. Well, I had a, I had a really cool artist come through and do kind of like her own creative rendition of the expression of each of these postural expressions and you know, combining what is the, what is indicative of each postural expression that we have throughout the day? How does that indicate a person's general personality, you know, and the way that they conduct themselves in relationship and their life and et cetera. And an easy example of this, and I know that you, I'm sure you're exposed to this with Mind, Body, Green, probably a lot of bendies would be in your world. Although you live in New York, so you probably get a lot of, you know, kind of a confluence of different types, probably get some like swall, kind of hold themselves together, chest out, like I got this. You probably get a lot of aligned as well. People that are just feel comfortable in their bodies and they feel like stable and safe and it's okay to be seen and to see and connect and be honest. But the bendy archetype is something that I'm very familiar with because I lived in Maui for several years. I lived in Boulder, Colorado for seven years. I now live in Austin, which is, you know, there are a lot of bendies out here too. Benny archetype is a person that wears stretchy pants. You know, they got great mobility, bordering on hyper mobility, which becomes problematic. Very creative, great with throwing color at the wall, you know, and just like wow, spontaneous, show up late very regularly, hard to depend on, have a lot of great ideas, but really hard to get them off the ground, you know, so more like feminine in a way. If you were to go to like that kind of that model of description, that and not feminine bad, just feminine in the sense of supportive, nurturing, colorful, better at being, less good at doing. You know, so that bendy person is, you know, they love yoga classes, they love ecstatic dance, and, but they can do well by being around someone that is, everyone does well being around an aligned person, and everyone has the aligned person within them, but they could do well being around maybe someone that's a little bit more of that swall archetype. Swall archetype is kind of stiff, they kind of waddle when they walk around, they kind of have like that lat presentation bodybuilder thing chest puffed out, you know, showing their vital organs, showing their neck and their heart and all that stuff. But there's a lot of compensation in there. The reason that they're expressing that swall, this is where I come from back in like my teenage dumb, and I still have remnants of this. The reason they're doing that is they're trying to send the outward signal that I've got everything under control. I've got this. I'm strong. I'm stable. I can fight. If you've got a problem, I'll probably beat you up. And what that's indicative of anytime you have to you're going out of your way to show a thing it's like poker typically it's the opposite is true so within that is coming from some type of insecurity some type of little boy or little girl that doesn't feel loved or doesn't feel lovable you know and they're compensating to say like i am you know and then the anxious archetype is the person that's the pacing of their language is going to be very fast. It's typically going to be maybe a little bit higher. Being around that person, they're great at getting things done until they like burn out and then they have like deep burnouts and then you, you don't see them for, for a week and then they come back and they're full fire. You know, they, their shoulders are married up to their ears. It's almost like they're always walking on like eggshells or like tiptoes and you know, and so you see what you see in that in the musculoskeletal expression of that anxious person or anxious archetype, you'll see tension, you know, and so there's this higher level of tonicity, whereas the bendy individual, there's going to be almost a flaccidity. So more flaccid tissue, kind of just loose, free love. If they got in a car accident, they just roll through it like a drunk person, you know, and then the anxious person's kind of the opposite side of that. And they do well together. 
that's the thing. It's like, it's just finding balances in each of us within ourselves. You know, we do well with a little hypertonicity every, every now and again, and maybe a little hypotonicity every now and again, and, you know, a balance between the two. And, you know, like that's what makes humans so cool is that relationship. And you don't need to be any one thing. And there is no right or is no wrong. You know, it's just finding your tribe, finding your community, you know, and within that, it's like, oh, interesting. Like, I don't need the same person. You know, I need actually someone to balance the attributes. Well, I don't need anything, you know, coming personally, get out of like the, the need scarcity space, but something that would be supportive for the development of myself and those around me, you know, in, you know, in interdependence is finding qualities. It's like, oh, interesting. When we're together, there's like this kind of yin yang type scenario. We have this balance with each other because we have different expressions. My expression isn't wrong or right, nor is yours. It's just finding that right chemistry and balance between, you know, the relationships that you have in your life. And I think there's another archetype in there I didn't mention, but you get the general idea of it. Yeah. It's so interesting. And, you know, coming back again to the idea of alignment and how we make alignment work for us, you mentioned posture and just sitting upright can have a profound impact on our, on our mental well-being. I think of like every things we do every day, you know, we sit every day, we walk every day mm. and we breathe every day. So where I'm going to go next is we can all try to sit a little bit better, sit a little bit more upright. There's a benefit there. What can we do in terms of how we walk and how we breathe mm -hmm. that could have a benefit as well? Well, one thing is just, again, pay attention, you know, and so the best way to walk better is to start walking more. For the most part, if you are sitting in a 90 degree flexed position at all major segments, joint segments throughout your body, at least your lower body, you know, ankles, knees, hips, and then you also, you know, your shoulders are kind of slowly like, like callousing forward into this medially rotated position and you have a tension in the pec minor, pec major, you know, front of the chest and a tension in the back in the cervical spine and then a lax, a laxity and the rhomboids and the low traps and all that stuff. So this pattern starts to form from being in that position too much. The, there's nothing wrong with that position. If you're in that position all the time, you're rehearsing that position. It becomes your personality, becomes who you are. You become imprisoned to that position. And that position, if you were to remove the cell phone, remove the computer, remove the Range Rover, you know, or the fancy car or the, you know, the big leather seat that indicates that you're, you know, you're valuable you know, your, your high worth, remove all that and just have the position like at a deep mammalian primal level, like that position. If you were to see that position, what you would probably think outside of all the story of definitions of what, you know, the, what's happening around it, you'd be like, oh, that person's sad. That person's depressed. That person's sick. That person's super tired. You know, there's like something going on. Just getting out of that position. Like, it's not complicated. So if you are having a, a, a meeting, you know, maybe it's like, okay, cool. Like, you know what? We're going to, a part of the culture of our company is like, we care about your cells. You know, we care about your circadian rhythm. We care about your exercise. We care about your, you know, like we care about your health. You know, we like, like health first. And then we build the business on top of that. You know, so as a company that can be kind of more like the, the ethos. And then that can be your same ethos with yourself. You know, it's not, it's typically not worth sacrificing your health for 
something else. It's like health first, you know, and then we build on top of that because that's the path towards longevity. So how can we start to implement certain little basic things? You know, we have tons of exercises, you know, throughout like, you know, the book and all the places, but a basic thing would be just scheduling walking meetings, I, you know, particularly outside, you know, and then particularly while you're outside, expose more of yourself to the outside, take your sunglasses off, get that full spectrum light penetrating your eyes, you know? And so as you're getting that's it's turning the gears of your neurochemistry, you know, so light is one of the most powerful tools, supplements, elements that we have access to, to setting our body up for homeostasis, setting our body up for balance, you know, setting our body up for having healthy endocrine system and healthy neurochemical system. And, you know, it just, it's, it like tunes the body in a beautiful way. You know, so that would be an example. It's just like, start making the, the conscious decision to say, when I have an opportunity to throughout my day, I prioritize my health. I prioritize just getting out for a walk, like that simple. You know, from there, something that would be really nice with the breathing pattern stuff would be emphasizing an exhalation. So when you're breathing, being aware that the way I describe it in the book, essentially it's like we have these toggles to our autonomic nervous system called our senses. You know, and one of the toggles that's very valuable is the way that we breathe. You know, so every old book, spiritual text, yoga text, martial art text, weightlifting text, like anything is like breath. You know, breath is the king of the nervous system. You know, so something to pay attention to is be aware that when you exhale, that is calming the nervous system. That's putting you more into this parasympathetic rest, digest, restore state. So I think if you ever feel relieved, you go, if you're stressed out, you hold your breath, and then your relief, just doing that once, it changes your whole state. You know, and so having access to that as a tool is like, okay, if I'm ever feeling away, come back to the way that I'm breathing. I understand there's a tool, and if I understand how to access this tool and wield this tool, then I can use it in my favor as opposed to being used by it, you know, and just being on the ride, on the roller coaster. So as you're taking a walk, something you play with is, you know, bring your hands on the sides of your ribs and breathe horizontally. So get you, we can do it right now. Bring your hands down on the low ribs and just notice the breath breathing through the nose. Going out into the sides. Just by doing that, you're getting one access to much more air. So the lower lobes of the lungs are dramatically longer than the upper lobes. When you're in a more stressed breathing pattern, particularly if you're breathing through your mouth, one, you're decreasing your production of nitric oxide, which is supportive for cognitive function. It's supportive for fighting off bacteria or any type of like infections you may have in your body. It's supportive for cardiovascular function, for circulation. So just using your nasal passages to breathe, that's going to be a massive win. Next thing, paying attention to the mechanics of the way that you breathe throughout your torso. So that horizontal breathing, that's going to be sending the signal or the stimuli to your autonomic nervous system that, ah, Jason feels safe. Jason, has he doesn't feel like he needs to take these panic breaths into the upper lobes of the lungs, which is going to shunt blood out of the viscera and into the appendages to get you the heck out of the room, to get you ready to fight, flight, or potentially freeze. So just that, 
in and of itself is such a massively powerful tool that we were never taught in elementary school, which is insane. And so, you know, that would be a fine starting point. It's just astonishing how the power of nasal breathing is one of the best tools in our toolkit. And most of us are not breathing through our nose. And if you think about you know, performance, if you think about longevity, if you think about sleep, if you think about anxiety, so many of our ails stem from the way we breathe. Mm -hmm. And it's so simple. We, we take 27 or 28,000 breaths a day, I think. Yeah. And breathing through our nose is just one of the the most simplistic tools out there, but probably one of the most effective and has a downstream effect, which is just so incredibly powerful. Yeah, there's a quote from, I think her name's Annie Dillard. I, I, I reference it in the book and it's, it says, the way in which we spend our days, of course, is the way we spend our life. You know, and, and so, and you could wind that back and you say the way you spend your moments is of course the way you spend your days. So it's like, oh, interesting. So the way I spend my moments is the way I spend my life. So in that moment, you have those, you know, 20 to 27,000 breaths per day, depending upon, you know, the, the individual and their, your breathing rate and such. Every one of those breaths is tuning your autonomic, hormonal, neurochemical state. Every single one is an opportunity. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it, it's amazing, and I'm, I'm glad you know people like James Nestor, Brian McKenzie, and people people you know, mutual mm -hmm. friends of ours, yeah. have really put breath work on the map. Uh -huh. You know, in terms of walking, I'm curious what you think about mechanics, footwear. You know, many people will say, you know, we shouldn't be wearing sneakers, shoes. We should be you know walking barefoot or or wearing footwear that, that keeps us a little bit more grounded. Or, you know, we should be leading with the heel or the ball of the foot or neither. There's just a lot of different opinions on how to walk. <laughs> you know, what, what do you think about how we should, you know, again, there's no wrong or right way, but what's your take on, on, on walking in general in terms of mechanics? Well, it's a highly varied, nuanced subject and is dependent upon first, like the nature and the nurture. So what's the specific anatomy of the individual that we're referring to does the person have two legs because that's going to really affect how they, yep. their gait pattern you know does they have do they have some type of bone spur situation do they have some type of malformation or just general formation you know or what's the depth of their hip sockets you know of their acetabulum are they eastern european are they western european do they got a scottish hip do they got you know so there's a lot of different variants in the nature aspect. And then from there, I think the, the, the best way to learn to walk is to do your due diligence to create access to full functional range of motion of all of the necessary joints to be able to walk effectively, which is every joint in your body. So coming through and saying, okay, like joint by joint approach, What's the function of my toe hinge? You know, do I have dexterity within my toes? What's the range of motion of my ankle joint? How's my dorsiflexion? That's going to be the greatest limitation for most people ever since, you know, Nike created high-heeled shoes and we're taking away a fraction of our access to, to dorsiflexion. 
if you limit your dorsiflexion, dorsiflexion is toes towards your nose, essentially, then that's what obviously trickle up into the hip. Now that's going to limit hip extension when the hip goes back. If you limit hip extension, then that's going to limit that access to that rotation through the spine, that connection up into the contralateral shoulder, contralateral meaning opposite side. You know, so if you have tension in the shoulder or tension in the neck because you're stressed the freak out, you know, or you have this forward head posture pattern going all the time, or you have some type of like jaw tension thing, or I'm so stressed, that affects your feet. So first it's saying, it's like, let's just go through and have like a roll call and say like, okay, where are we at? Where is everybody? You know, and so that's what yoga does. That's what, you know, a good weightlifting coach will do. That's what a good dancing coach will do. That's what, you know, that's what we do in the align method is we, we say, okay, cool. Like what's happening in all these joints? Do we have access? If we don't have access, let's figure out access. Now from there, then I think it more comes into like a systems theory approach with the body. Like you, the human organism is a, an emergent system. It's a self-organizing system that organizes around its environmental conditions. So if you put me into water, my body just naturally starts to do that. You know, if you put a person into contoured surfaces or, you know, they're hiking, walking, whatever it is, suddenly the body just organically goes through these different ranges of motion. You know, so make sure we have access to all of the, all of the, the major joints throughout the body. Just become curious, you know, and we can, we, it'd be weird to talk about the specific exercises and such, but, you know, we can, you know, can refer to have links and things where you actually can go through all this. And then from there, it's just like, start walking more, start exploring, become curious, you know, so maybe walk a little bit and have your feet explore more medial rotation with the, the legs as you're landing. So kind of have a little bit more like pigeon toed. So you're, when you're taking a walk, maybe notice you're starting to land kind of like lateral, kind of like outside heel rolling across the, the outside arch across through the pinky toes and then kind of rotating in and then extending the foot back and feeling that kind of like swoosh back into extension, you know, with the toes across the ground and notice how that feels. Maybe pay attention. Okay. I'm going to, as I take each step, I'm going to notice my spinal column starting to track over my right foot while my weight's on my right. Now, when I go into the left foot, my noticing my spinal column kind of shifting over to the left. Ooh, how's that feel? Okay. I'm going to start to notice maybe this contralateral thing that I heard about. And so as I step, my right hip extends back. That creates an elastic stretching through the left shoulder. Oh, interesting. I'm noticing this contralateral thing going on. It's like primal movement, bro. You know, so just starting to explore. And if you look at, you know, people that are high-level sprinters, you know, or like elite athletes, there's trends, but there's no static absolute with what is the best foot strike or what is the, you know, the best, um, way to cut or pivot or anything of the sort. Like there's trends for sure, but it really, it's a combination of nature and nurture. And if you give yourself adequate access to the ranges necessary for movement, and then you become curious and just observe, I think, and, and move, I think that's a really good way to do it and place yourself into environmental conditions that allow you to emerge, you know, and self-organize in different ways.
because if all of you have, have access to ever is just flat paved road, that is a brand new ph phenomena that your entire ancestry forever has not been exposed to. I think just like that and then become curious and move more and watch and, and see what feels good, you know, I think is a good starting point. So you mentioned flat paved road. Look, you know, the landscapes are interesting and in terms of landscapes, if we're fortunate enough where we, you know, we've got some paved roads, we got dirt roads, we got grass, we got sand, we've got access to all sorts of landscapes. How do you think about landscapes and, and preference? in terms of walking for health benefit. Well, one thing I, I actually had this thought I was in, I think it was like Morocco or something a while ago. It was like a decade ago. And I had this interesting moment where I was walking around and I was, I may or may not have been imbibing some of the, the local hash hashish there, which is a very common thing within Morocco. I don't know. Maybe you need to edit that part out. I'm not sure if you refer to things of this sort, but it was a part of the cultural experience. And so while I was there, I had my journal, you know, and I'm walking around and I don't you know, speak the language and I'm kind of just watching. I'm just like full observer mode. And one of the things that I was observing was these kids playing soccer, but they're playing soccer on a basketball court. So they have like little nets set up and, you know, they're going through all these different running, pivoting, cutting, dorsiflexion, you know, plantar flexion, inversion, eversion, supination, going through all these motions on this flat surface, but because their upper body is going through a full range of motion, suddenly, instead of the surface moving the feet architecture into those various varied ranges of motion, the by the upper body just playing sport, suddenly it necessitates those like very similar ranges. So just because, and I don't know how supportive this is this as a response is, but just because you're on a flat surface doesn't mean you're like doomed and damned to just having this very limited range of motion. Like there's other ways to go through varied ranges of motion, even if you are just in a completely flat room, you know? And so then as far as the landscape stuff goes, I mean, I think a really important thing about landscapes is just noticing how landscapes make you feel. You know, so if you, there's research done in the, I believe it's University of Pennsylvania is particularly around gallbladder surgery. And it was, they had some subjects in there or some patients in there for gallbladder surgery that didn't have access to a window. Then they had other patients that were in there and they had access to a window. The only difference was they could see some green stuff. So just laying in your, laying in the bed and just being able to like, ah, oh, just like trees, life. Those people need less painkillers and they would be released they would be released from their hospital they would heal faster by on average i believe it was a couple of days quicker so just the fact that you can see some trees literally causes your whole immune system and your you know all of the, the healing mechanisms that you have access to to start to upregulate and start to come online just by looking at some trees you know and so the similar thing notice how your soundscape affects you are you listening to traffic? Are you listening to sirens all day? Are you listening to just start to pay attention and say, like, how does that make me feel? No moralistic judgment, no right, wrong, no bad, good. No, I'm, you know, I'm hurting my cells. Oh my God. Just say, like, how does that make me feel? And then go out and maybe say, like, cool, I'm going to go by a waterfall, you know, or we're going on vacation. We're going to be the beach. I'm just going to take a walk on the beach and I'm just going to have this juxtaposition and really just notice, like, how does this sound of water make me feel? 
You know, maybe something that I do, I don't have a fireplace at my place. I have a TV, a flat screen TV where I go on the YouTube and I put a crackling fire on the TV. And in the background, while I'm just hanging out, I have the picture of a fire and I have the crackling, that crackling of fire that for a very long time has been an indicator to your autonomic nervous system that you're safe, you're protected, you're warm, you're sitting around the fire, you're sharing stories, you're connecting with people you care about. The, pr the predators are going to stay away because they're scared of the fire. Ah. You know, so that I think is a big thing that's just like, if we just start, you know, there's a quote, well, I wouldn't really call it a quote, but an idea from the fellow that created Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl. Are you familiar with Man's Search for Meaning book, Viktor Frankl? Of course. Yeah, so his modality of, I guess, maybe psychotherapy, you could call it, was called logotherapy. And the way that he described it was he said, like, I'm not as much of a psychologist as much as I am an optom op optometrist. So people come in and all I'm doing is adjusting the way that they see. We're adjusting their vision. You know, so within that, I'd say from a, a physical perspective, like that's, I think, is an interesting lens to just start to come in. It's like, what does fitness really mean? You know, because when we're in a gym, it's very common, like, oh, I'm doing my bicep curls, I'm doing my muscle ups, like that's fitness. You know, but like, what is that? That's a contraction and expansion. And, you know, it's a, it's kind of stirring up your endocrine system and stirring up, you know, it's just stirring your, stirring the pot. What do sounds do to you? What do relationships do to you? What does body language do to you? You know, so I think that's with the environmental or the, yeah, your, the environment, like, the, like your visual environment. I think that's a beautiful thing. Just to start to pay attention to how different places make you feel. And then from there, like, cool, like play, you know? I, I love it. And, you know, you mentioned the basketball court and I think during the course of this interview, you, you've hit on every major basketball injury I've had, <laughs> uh, you know, I've, I've, di I've dislocated and separated my shoulder. I have my left shoulder and right shoulder. I have bone spurs in my right ankle from a third degree ankle sprain. Mm. And last but not least, L4, L5, S1. I had two extruded discs pressing on my sciatic nerve. It, was, it could walk, excruciating, and a big part of my origin story because I found yoga and yoga saved me from back surgery and led to the, the creation of my buddy Green. Great. And so with that said, in your book, you talk about L4, L5, S1 the lower back is being one of the most vulnerable spinal segments. And so for all of those suffering out there with some L4, L5, S1, sciatic nerve issues, what, what should we be focused on? Cause I, I it's, it's so common. Yeah. Yeah. So for one, looking at the, that, that lower segment of the spine, understanding the architecture is valuable. You know, so down in that, that's L4, L5, S1 territory, the vertebra are more in the shape of a wedge with the wide part, or maybe that would be called the obtuse part facing forward, facing your belly button. And so, and then the narrow part facing the back. And so what that means is that if you're continually sitting in a position we are kind of like, ugh, like slouched over, hunching over. That's not bad. There's nothing wrong with the position. But that position inherently is kind of like taking you off 
that that stack. And so something that people could start to tinker with would be when you're sitting down on a chair or you're sitting down on the, the floor, which I would highly recommend. I have a whole chapter about the value of floor sitting and you know I'd love to maybe we could touch on that and we're, we're probably running out of time but well one spending time on the ground in general is going to be supportive for all of those spinal segments all you know your knees your hips your your ankles cultures that spend time sitting on the ground with some level of regularity throughout the day have minimal to no incidence of osteoarthritis of the hips of the knees pelvic floor dis- dysfunction is diminished vastly you know there's generally healthier people like the way that you circulate lymphatic fluid is through muscular contraction if you're just sitting like a corpse just kind of in your lazy boy throughout the day your fluids have no choice but to kind of just pile up on top of each other and that backup of fluids becomes you know dis-ease of some variety you know, back up of inflammation or just generally, it's just like the, think of your body like a pond. You know, we have this analogy in the book as well, but th- think it's like, if you have a pond, the way that you have a healthy pond is through regular circulation of that water pump. It might be a waterfall. It might be one of those fountain things. That continual circulation of that fluid makes a healthy pond. The common trend, and I promise we'll drift back to specifically the low back and the spinal segments, but this is all in relation to it. The common trend in modern physical culture is we do a blowout waterfall pond explosive session where we're just full circulation for 45 minutes and then stasis for the rest of the day. That's not a healthy pond. Like the body does not respond well to that. You know, and we include research from Joan Vernicos, who was, she was a researcher for NASA for something like 40 odd years. I, I believe I did a podcast with her, actually. I think, I, I believe, I think it was like a couple of years ago. But Joan, one of the things that she found in, in her research working with astronauts that would go into, you know, zero gravity was that the way to stave off the detrimental effects of zero gravity, because gravity is invaluable for your health, is through regular bouts of exercise throughout the day. So if you would get regular bouts, you know, every, whatever, every hour you do a little thing, you take a little walk, you know, and there's actually been research to suggest that just two minutes of of walking every hour reduces the likelihood of all-cause mortality by something like a third. I think that was like Ohio State University, I believe I have them in in the book as well. so just a, a little circulation session every couple of minutes, you know, or every hour for a couple of minutes, that's way better for the body than doing a blowout and then stasis throughout the rest of the day. So back into the, and being on the ground, naturally, you're going to, you're going to move around a little bit. You go to 90 position. You might straddle for a little bit. You might sukhasana for a little bit. You might toe sit. You might seiza kneeling. You might lay in your side for a little bit. You might lay in your belly you know, sphinx position. And then every time you got to take a pee or you want to make some tea or make a sandwich, you have to get up and down off of the ground. That times a day, times a week, times a month, times a lifetime is a body that never goes through that experience of fall risk. Like that's the number one leading reason for elderly needing assisted living is I fall and I can't get up. The reason for that is because we've divorced ourselves from spending time on the ground. There's nothing human about just like, oh yeah, of course, you're 70. Yeah, you can't get up off of the ground anymore. That has nothing to do with being a human. You know, and that's like one of the things I'm like the most passionate about because I'm just like, come on. <laughs> like, we can do better. And it's so easy, you know, and it's even more affordable. You know, and so 
that's a big deal. And then coming back into like spinal health and all that stuff, you know, that's going to take your body through the necessary range of motions to, to keep health throughout those spinal segments. What I was getting at before that I really will shut up is make sure that your hips are up above the height of your knees when you're sitting in any position. And so what that will do is it will naturally put your lower back and your pelvis into a, an, like an arch, like a architectural position of integrity and support and it, load bearing. You could drive weight through the shoulders and bah, it would comfortably stack through that neutral spine. Make sure you understand what your sit bones are. I call them the, your feet, your, what do I call them? Your butt feet, your feet butt. It's like your feet of your butt. Like you need to understand the feet of your butt, your feet of your butt are your sit bones. So have a relationship with the feet of your butt. Have a relationship with the feet of your feet. You know, like you, you got to understand those spaces and become curious. And a part of that is just, you know, loading weight in a, a mechanically efficient way, which is being on the front edge of those sit bones, have just a slight kind of tilt forward, not too much to the point where you're going like hyperlordotic territory. And then allow the ribs to not flare, but kind of allow them to kind of tuck down towards the, the pelvis a little bit while you're maintaining that position. Take your hands, boom, do a little side body breathing, horizontal breathing through the nose. And then maybe you can explore the sensation of, imagine there's a little string in the back of your head, slowly drawing your head up towards the ceiling. You know, maybe now use your visual muscles and look up as opposed to looking down all the time. When you're looking up, that's your visual, your ocular tissue is essentially a continuation of your central nervous system. So the way that you use your eyes informs your autonomic nervous system. When you're looking up, it's sending the signal. It's like, okay, time to wake up, time to get creative, time to like come up with ideas, you know, creative thoughts, you know, energy. When I look down, you're sending the signal to your autonomic nervous system. It's like time to like you know, get sleepy and just relax and time to like go to, we're hitting the sack. So that little exploration, if people actually kind of just like allow some of that to soak in would make a, a massive difference, you know, at a, an individual and cultural level. So in closing, you know, I referenced talking to a functional, you know, there are great parallels with functional medicine. If you went to a functional medicine doctor and said, you know, Hey doc, is there one thing I could do? That's going to make a big difference in, in my health. And nine out of 10 would say eat a lot more vegetables. So if I were to ask you the same question, is there one thing that's going to have an impact on my alignment mm. and how I feel, what would be that, that one thing? Man, there's so many things that come to mind I mean, everything I mentioned, be outside as much as you can. Just get outside. Just got to be outside. Your body runs on outside. Be on the ground with regularity. I know I'm breaking your rules. I apologize. But be on the ground with regularity. That's yoga. That's martial arts. That's most forms of dance. That's being a kid. It's being a healthy human. That's being an animal. It's being a primate. Just your body needs those ranges of motion. And we've divorced ourselves culturally away from those ranges. And statistically speaking, it's incredibly problematic. Get your arms up over your head. Get a pull-up bar. You know, just put it somewhere common, commonplace, become a self-emergent, self-organizing emergent system where it's just by the bar being there, you just naturally hang, you know, and ah, just a little decompression that opens up space around your lungs and your, the pericardium, the connective tissue around the heart and, you know, puts you in a more confident postural orientation, shoulders back, 
you know, it literally restructures the, the, the structure and the shape of the shoulder girdle. And then I think like reducing the judgment, get out of the story that I'm doing it wrong, you know, and just, and, and instead come to the place of like compassion, you know, appreciation for like how hard you've worked to be here now, you know, and just like, I think that's a big thing. Like, like, like truly coming to a place of compassion for ourselves, you know, allows a lot of the rigidity to start to oh, like, okay. Oh, now suddenly I want to do the thing. I don't feel like I need to do the thing. I want to do it. It just feels good to feel good. That'd probably be where I would go. Amen. Aaron, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Is it okay if I share the the thing that we have created called the Align Community that I'm excited about? Absolutely. So to, on today, today is the, I don't know when you're going to release this, but this is the seven year anniversary of the podcast I host called The Aligned Podcast. And it's an interesting situation because on this seventh year, we're releasing this thing called The Aligned Community, which is completely free. And the whole intention of it is to have a space for the community that are interested in conversations like this to be able to connect with each other. You know, so for us to be able to share ideas and for us to be able to communicate and not just, I'm, I'm sure you've had this experience in your, in your own development and experience of it's kind of, I don't know, it's not that rewarding to have all of the interest or attention or comments or whatever just kind of going one way. And so I'm really interested in integrating the community and having people be able to, to bounce ideas off of each other. So if people are interested in going deeper into conversations like this, it's completely free. And it's the, you can find it at alignpodcast.com slash community. And on there, we have content that's exclusive to there. It's not on the podcast, it's on YouTube, it's on Instagram. And it's a lot more going deeper into this conversation and actual tips and tools with the community element. Because I think that based off of all the research that I've ever seen and probably research you've seen, community is like the number one leading, most important factor to our health and our longevity. You know, and so that's something that I'm, I'm really focusing on this year. And so if people are interested in, in more community around conversations like this, onlinepodcast.com slash community would be a great place to check out. And I would love to see folks over there. Thank you for letting awesome. me share that. Thank I you. appreciate it. Of course. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, man. 